You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Good morning. It is good to see you uh, today. Um, if you didn't get a chance to be here for Night to Shine uh, on Friday, uh, let me just tell you what a blessing it was um, and how much fun it was to be in this room uh, and uh, to get to dance and to celebrate uh, our, uh, our friends, our, our neighbors uh, with special needs. My, my favorite part of the night uh, personally was I, I was standing right back here uh, in the middle of the room uh, and looking up right up on this balcony up here and uh, caretakers, so moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, uh, they were up there getting to watch uh, their sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters and nieces and nephews uh, celebrate uh, and have fun and get treated like kings and queens. Uh, so it was awesome. It was a great time. I hope uh, that you will make plans to serve next year uh, at Night to Shine. But that wasn't the only thing that happened this week. It was a busy weekend uh, for ministry here at Central. Uh, our student ministry took 50 students into Orlando uh, for the Lift Tour, where they uh, spent their weekend uh, hearing the Bible preached, worshiping Jesus, growing together uh, in their relationship with Him and in their relationship with one another and all of those things are great and none of those things can happen without your generosity. Uh, so uh, just know how much we appreciate, uh, how much I appreciate uh, the fact that so many of you give generously uh, regularly so that we can be a blessing to our neighbors, we can be a blessing to the nations, and we can invest in uh, the next generation. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and meet with me in Romans chapter 3. Uh, Romans chapter 3 uh, is where we are going to be uh, today, uh, and we're going to look at verses 21 to 26. Romans 3, uh, verses 21 to 26. As you turn there, I, I wonder if you know what these names have in common. Butch Harmon, Hank Haney, Sean Foley, and Chris Como. Uh, those names are the names of the four men uh, who coached Tiger Woods in golf from 1993 until 2017. Uh, they, they were men who uh, they have given their lives to learning the sport of golf uh, and to investing not just in beginners, not just intermediate. I, I don't know what it is before you're a beginner in golf. That's where I am right? Uh, that uh, I go out there to grow in my sanctification um, because I get mad at a little ball in the cup and, and all of that. Uh, but they, they invest in uh, professional golfers. Uh, Tiger Woods, uh, maybe the, the greatest professional golfer to uh, ever play the sport. Uh, Tiger Woods had a golf coach until 2017. When Tiger Woods was most effective, when he was winning uh, the most stops on the tour, the, the most majors, uh, Tiger Woods had a coach. And here's why Tiger Woods had a coach. Uh, because as good as he is, uh, sometimes you've just got to be reminded of the basics. Right? As good as he is, sometimes you've just got to be reminded of the fundamentals. Uh, you can look across professional sports. You can go professional athlete to professional athlete to professional athlete. They have a coach who is there reminding them, instructing them, telling them to remember the basics. Right? Remember, remember what you're supposed to do. Remember what you have been doing. Remember what you have learned. 
And just like professional athletes or actors or whoever it may be, sometimes in the Christian life, we just need to be reminded of the fundamentals. We just need to be reminded of the basics. And so this morning, we're going to start just kind of a quick series where we're going to walk through some of the basics of following Jesus. And this morning, we're going to start with the gospel. Now, some of you may be saying, Ethan, I know the gospel, right? I'm ready to move past the gospel. Well, here's the thing. If that's you, then my assumption is, is that you don't really understand the gospel, right? We don't move as believers. We don't move past the gospel. We don't move further than the gospel. No, we move deeper into the gospel. This is why Paul would tell the Corinthian church, I have desired to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because for Paul, Christianity, it, it wasn't the, the gospel wasn't the doorway into Christianity. Uh, the way J.D. Greer puts it, the gospel is the hallway and the classrooms and the desk of Christianity. It's not the diving board into the pool, it's the water and the pool and everything that is there. And so as people who call ourselves gospel people, as people uh, who we claim to belong to a gospel church, we should never get tired of thinking about the gospel. We should never get tired of celebrating the gospel. We should never get tired of talking about that thing that has moved us from death to life. That thing that has come to us whenever we were dead in our trespasses and sins and has now made us alive together with God. So look with me here at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we see this truth, that Jesus is God's perfect answer to our greatest problem. Jesus is God's perfect answer to our greatest problem. Uh, let me invite you to stand as we honor uh, the reading of God's perfect and precious word uh, here in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. Uh, the Spirit says to us this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness and your mercy. Lord, thank you that you are just and you are the justifier of all who put their faith in Christ. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would make the gospel real to us that you would make the gospel sweet to us. Father, I pray that we would see our need for the gospel, God, that we would see how good Jesus is, we would see how good the gospel is, and Father, that would change us as we leave here today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. As we look here at Romans chapter three, uh, we see first this, God's plan for our need. God's plan for our need. Here's the thing, God always has a plan. And God never has a plan B, right? He, he never has a contingency plan. 
Uh, so maybe, uh, maybe you, you're one who you always have a plan, and then you've got plan B, and then you've got plan C, and then you've got plan D in case plan C doesn't work or in case you get tired of plan B, right? That you just, hey, you always want to be prepared. Well, our God always has a plan, and it's always the right plan, so he never needs another plan. This is really what the entire book of Romans is about. Um, I think Romans is potentially the most important book uh, that Paul wrote. Uh, Romans does such a good job, Paul in Romans does such a good job of showing our need for the gospel, uh, explaining what the gospel is. And then what Paul does too is he peels back the curtain, he shows how the gospel works, and then he shows how do we apply the gospel to our lives. How do we apply the gospel to our faith? How do we apply the gospel uh, to who we are and as we live uh, to uh, follow Jesus? So if you wanted just kind of a rough outline of the book of Romans, this is really simplistic. We could dive deeper into it, but uh, chapters one through three, Paul really outlines that we are sinners who need a savior and God has provided that savior. And then chapter four and to the end is Paul applying the gospel to our hearts and our lives. Now look with me here at verse 21. Uh, verse 21 begins with two of the sweetest words in all of the Bible, but now. Right, something has changed. W what Paul is saying here is he's saying that something has changed from what he has just said uh, to where he's going now. Uh, something has changed. A, a new era has dawned. Now, now to understand the weight of what Paul is saying, uh, look back with me at verse 20. In verse 20, Paul says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And now, Romans chapter 3 begins as potentially the most controversial chapter in Scripture. In Romans 3, Paul's going to say things like, there, there is no one who is good, no, not even one. He's going to say there's no one who seeks God. There's no one who comes after God, that it's, it's God who does the seeking. And then he ends here in verse 20 by saying that Paul's writing, go back, Paul's writing to Jews and Gentiles. So he's writing to the Roman church, there's Jews and Gentiles. And he ends in verse 20 by telling the Jews that, look, works of the law cannot save you. Your behavior it cannot get you. It does not earn you what you think it does. And so uh, here he's, he's really kind of shaking the tree, shaking uh, his audience to come alive and to understand their great need, understand our great need for the gospel. He spends the first three chapters building this case that we are sinners who deserve judgment. See, the bad news is that the Old Testament law it cannot save us. But here's the thing, the Old Testament law was never given to save us. The Old Testament law was given to show Israel their sin, to show Israel that they needed a savior. The, the entire sacrificial system was never intended to be the once and final way that God's people's sins would be atoned for. No, the sacrificial system was always a shadow of the reality, the way the book of Hebrews says it. The, the Old Testament sacrificial system was always God's people not looking to a bull or a goat or a ram for their salvation, but that sacrifice, that bull, the blood of that bull, the blood of that goat, the blood of that ram was always pointing them forward to a savior who would come was always pointing them forward to the Messiah, to King Jesus. 
So the bad news is, is that law cannot save us. It just shows us our sin. But here in verse 21, Paul says, but now. Something has changed. And what has changed is that God's righteousness, it's now been, been shown apart from all. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been shown apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. God's righteousness, it's been shown apart from the law, but it's not foreign to the law. When he says here the law and the prophets, he's, he's talking about the entire Old Testament. The, the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament bears witness to God's righteousness as revealed in Jesus, as we'll see in this passage. See, it wasn't just Jews that were putting their faith in the law. Gentiles were doing this as well. In fact, people today, we, we still put our hope in our good behavior to get us to heaven. The problem is, is that we can never be good enough to make up for when we are not good. We can never be good enough to make up for when we are sinners. Think about a simple illustration. If, if I were to get caught stealing this afternoon and, and the, the police were to come to the store and they were to put me in handcuffs and I said something like, look, I was really good yesterday and I promise I'll be really good tomorrow. So just let me go, right? That's ridiculous, right? We're, we're laughing because we understand that it's ridiculous. It doesn't matter if I was really good yesterday and it doesn't matter if I promise or if I even keep that promise that I'll be really good tomorrow because at the end of the day, I'm still a thief. Right At the end of the day, I have still broken the law. At the end of the day, I am still a criminal. And the problem is, is that my bad days aren't confined to just once in my life. My, my bad days aren't confined to just once a week or once a month. My bad days, and when I say bad days, I mean my days that I need a Savior are... Sunday through Saturday, right? If it ends in a Y, I need a Savior, right? We, we can't save ourselves. So, so we know how ridiculous it sounds to say that to a police officer when we've broken the law, but then what many of us want to do is we want to come before the Father. And we want to say, God, I know that I've broken your law, but I'm going to be good. I know that I have sinned, but I am going to be better, I promise. And here's the thing, we, we shouldn't make promises that we can't keep, should we? See, we've all sinned, right? We've all fallen short of God's glory. Here's what makes Jesus so great. What makes Jesus so great is that he saves anyone who puts their faith in him. Look at verse 22, the, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, maybe, maybe you've heard from time to time, well, I'm not a person of faith. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you have a friend who says, I'm not a person of faith. One of my favorite movies is Nacho Libre, right? And in Nacho Libre, at one point, one of the characters, he says, I'm not a man of faith, I'm a man of science. Uh, well, he's a liar, right? Uh, because we are all people of faith. We're all putting our faith in something. Think of it this way. We've all put our hope for life and our hope for the future in something. Every one of us has put our hope for today and tomorrow somewhere. Maybe, maybe you've put your hope for life and the future in your career. If you can climb the ladder, 
then your future will be set. If you can get the promotion, if you can become what you've always wanted to become, then everything will be fine. If I can just make myself look good, then my life will be great. If I can drive the car, if I can have the house, if I can get the toy, then my image is going to be great and all of my wildest dreams will come true. Maybe, maybe you put your hope for life in the future in trying to better yourself. Maybe you read a lot of self-improvement books. Maybe you, you listen to a lot of self-improvement podcasts. Maybe you're constantly doing whatever you can to better yourself as a person. Maybe you're doing whatever you can to better yourself as a, an employee or a husband or a wife or whatever it may be. And I don't think it's bad to want to be better at those things. I think it's bad to trust those things to get you to heaven. Maybe, maybe you, you put your hope for life and your hope for tomorrow and for the future in your ability to escape the present. Maybe you spend your days at work looking forward to getting home so that you can start drinking. M maybe, maybe you spend your days thinking about how are you going to, to scratch that itch that may come? Here's the thing about all of that, whether it be your career or your image or you're bettering yourself or, or trying to escape, all of those things will ultimately leave you unsatisfied. Because one day, someone's gonna do your job better than you can. One day, your image is not going to be what you think it is. One day you're going to realize that you can try to better yourself your entire life and there will always be more to do. One day you're going to realize that that escape that you've been looking for from reality and from the present, that rather than giving you an escape, it has ultimately killed you. One day you're going to get to the end of whatever it is you're putting your faith in and you're going to realize that none of it worked. But see, the problem is not that we exercise faith. The problem is, is that we exercise our faith in the wrong things. Your faith is only as good as the object of it. So what is the object of your faith? What is it that you are trying to put your faith in that is not Jesus? And here's the thing. We are all guilty of this. I am guilty of this. You are guilty of this. If we weren't all guilty of putting our faith in things other than Jesus, then we would have no need for Jesus. If our faith was always right and our faith was always perfect, then we would be okay. The problem is, is our faith is not always right and our faith is not always perfect. We get distracted by all of these other things. And so what happens is, is we, we maybe unconsciously, we go to this place where we think, well, my faith is in Jesus plus this. Jesus plus whatever this is is going to get me what I want. But here's, here's the truth. Jesus plus anything leads to frustration. But Jesus plus nothing gives us everything. 
Right? That, that we've got to be careful that we don't, we don't think, yeah, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, but I'm also putting my faith in my, my son's right arm because his little league coach says he's going to be a pitcher one day. Uh, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, but my boss has also said that there's room for me to climb. I, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, but I can't stop checking my investment accounts. I, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, but I get really frustrated whenever I see this happen or whenever I see that happen. And so maybe for us today, what, what the prayer we need to pray is, Lord, where is my heart divided? God, where am I putting my faith in Jesus plus something else? Because Jesus plus something else ultimately weakens the gospel. and doesn't just weaken the gospel, it distorts the gospel. In Romans 3, Paul is inviting us to a better story. He's inviting us to something better. He's inviting us to something better than the constant struggle of trying to please ourselves and trying to make ourselves acceptable. Instead, what Paul is doing is he's inviting us to put our faith in the only one who can make us acceptable and the only one who can satisfy us and the only one who can fulfill us. And the one who can satisfy us is Jesus. So we see God's plan for our need. Next we see this. We see God's price for our need. God's price for our need. Our need is that we need to be redeemed. We need redemption. The problem is redemption is never free. Now the beauty of the gospel is that redemption is free for us, but it costs God much. It costs the Father his Son. See, Jesus is God's perfect answer to this great problem that you and I have. Now look, at ver- look with me at verse 22. At the end of verse 22, uh, Paul says, for there is no distinction. What he's saying here is that the problem and the price are same for all people. There is no distinction. Now, this is important here. This is actually a really important phrase, this no distinction in Romans. So if you're going to understand Romans, you've got to understand what is Paul saying here when he says no distinction. If you were to go back to Romans chapter 1, and you look at verses 16 and 17, that's what my ninth grade English teacher would have called the thesis statement. The, the main idea, the main argument that Paul is making through the book of Romans is in verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. And in Romans 1.16, Paul says that the gospel is God's power to save for all who believe. He says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, this would have been incredibly offensive to his Jewish audience. Because what Paul has just said is that you are in the same need that the Gentiles are. You have the same need that the Gentiles do. Your obedience can't save you. Your good works can't save you. The only thing that can save is Jesus, and Jesus is the great need, not just of me, not just of them. Jesus is the great need of all of us. We have no greater need than what Jesus meets, what Jesus fulfills. And he he reiterates that here by saying there is no distinction. Verse 23, he makes this problem clear. This is a verse that uh, hopefully you're familiar with. Maybe if you've ever walked someone through the Romans road, you're familiar with this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I did a little homework here. For all have sinned. And here's the thing. This word all here, it means all 
right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no distinction. And it's not that some have fallen further than others. It's not that, well, I just need a little bit of Jesus to save me, and they need a little more Jesus to save them. No, we all need all of Jesus for all of life, for all of our salvation. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, what does it mean that we fall short of the glory of God? It, it means that we have failed to be holy as God is holy. And so when we read about God's glory, what we're reading about is his manifest presence in the world, his manifest presence in our lives. We have failed to live up to who God is. We, we have failed to, to live up to his Holiness. We've fallen short of his presence. And it's not until we understand our sin and the, the weight of our sin that we can grasp the greatness of God's mercy. See, there are no insignificant sins. There are no insignificant sins because we do not have an insignificant God. There are no small sins because we do not have a small God. Every sin that I commit, every sin that you commit, we sin against. That, that word sin, it means to miss the mark. We miss the mark of a holy and righteous God. Every sin that we commit, even just one, is enough to earn us eternal punishment. Every sin that we engage in, no matter how big or how small, is enough to separate us from a holy God. This is the bad news of reality. The bad news is that we are bad. The, the bad news is that we are all born sinners. See, we, we aren't sinners because we have sinned. We sin because we're sinners. This is why David would say things like, in sin did my mother conceive me. That we, there's none good, no, not even one. I have a two-year-old, practically perfect bundle of joy. <laughs> right? If you, ask, if you ask her grandparents, she does nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, y'all come home with me. <laughs> but it didn't take long to realize that that little red-headed two-year-old, sinner, right? <laughs> and here's the thing. It shouldn't surprise us, though. It shouldn't surprise us when, it shouldn't surprise me that, that my two-year-old is a sinner because I am a sinner. Right? And, and my wife is wonderful. <laughs> my, my wife is phenomenal. Uh, I am a much greater sinner than my wife. But we are all sinners, right? And, and here, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned is that oftentimes the, the reason parenting is hard isn't because of my kid's sin, but because my kid's sin reveals my sin. See, we are all sinners. No matter how, how young we are, no matter how old we are, we all have sinned. And I get, like, that's not palatable. 
Right? I say that, and I'm going to say, thank you for the encouragement today. Right? Thank you for the encouraging word. But, but here's the reality is, is that we cannot know how good God's grace is until we understand just how serious our sin is. You cannot understand how great the healing is unless you understand how great the sickness is. And it's not until we understand how great our problem is that we really begin to understand just how great Jesus is. Verse 24, we read, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, and are justified, this is the good news, are justified by his grace as a gift. Understand, as a gift, right? It's free through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've all sinned, but we all can be justified by God's gift of grace. We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough, but what Paul says here is that we don't have to be good enough because we can be saved by Jesus. This justification, it's unmerited. It's, it's unearned. He, he talks about redemption here. He, he says that, that we have been justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That, that word redemption, it would have been used in Paul's day to speak of purchasing a slave out of slavery and granting them freedom. So what Paul is saying is that we have been purchased from slavery to sin and we have been given freedom to life. We've been given freedom with Jesus. Now, how does Jesus accomplish this? Look at verse 25. Verse 24 ends with, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. God put him forward as a propitiation. That's a, a big word. It, it's just a big word that I think is an important word that we should keep. It means to satisfy God's wrath, that on the cross, Jesus satisfied God's wrath for sin. And because Jesus satisfied God's wrath for sin, you and I, we don't have to try to satisfy the punishment that our sin deserves because Jesus has taken it all for us. And this is seen throughout all of the Old Testament. In fact, this, the word here used for propitiation, I typically don't like to use Greek words, but I think this one's an important one. This word is hilasterion. And hilasterion, it means propitiation, but it's used, the same word is used in the Old Testament to speak of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which was also known as the mercy seat. And so on the Day of Atonement, a, a priest would take the blood from the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat for the sins of Israel, for, for the sins of God's people. And so what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the place of sacrifice, Jesus is the place where God's wrath has been satisfied, but Jesus is also the means by which God's wrath has been satisfied. Jesus is the mercy seat. He, he is the sacrifice that has satisfied God's wrath for sin. This is the wonder of the gospel. The wonder of the gospel is that Jesus takes my sin and my punishment and he gives me freedom. And it was all God's idea. It was always God's plan to pay his price for our redemption. What's so amazing about the gospel is that God planned it and God paid the price and, and finally this, that God has been patient with our need. These last couple of verses here in this passage, we see God's patience with our need. Our God is patient when we sin in our rebellion. We see here that his patience was always part of his plan and verses 22 to 25, God, Paul explains the gospel 
And then here at the end of verse 25 and end of verse 26, he shows us how the gospel works. The end of verse 25, he says this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So one of the things that Paul does so well in his writings is he anticipates objections. He he does that here in these verses. What, What he's doing is he's defending God's justice. Because there might be some that would, that would make the charge, well, well, God passed over all those sins. He didn't do anything about the, the sins in the Old Testament, right? That, that it was works of the law, and it was offering sacrifices. And so if, if God would, would be okay with that, well, why wouldn't he still be okay with that now? And Paul says, you've misunderstood the Old Testament. God didn't leave that sin unpunished, and he, he didn't accept those sacrifices as the final payment for sin. Instead, we see that Old Testament saints, they were forgiven precisely because of Jesus Christ. Here here at the end of this passage, it says that God in his divine forbearance passed over former sins to show his righteousness, to show that he's a good and a right and a just judge at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, the gospel is a display of God's righteousness. He had not ignored sin. Instead, he had temporarily disregarded sin as he looked forward to the coming of Christ and the death of Christ and the burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ in our place. See, Moses wasn't saved because he was a great man of faith. Moses was saved because Jesus would come. Abraham was saved because Jesus would come. David was saved because Jesus would come. You and I can be saved because Jesus has come. God doesn't ignore our sin. Instead, he he had postponed the full penalty due to sin until the coming of Christ. Now in his death and resurrection, God has proven that he is just and he is the justifier of all who put their faith in Christ. See, Jesus is God's perfect answer to our greatest problem. You might say, Ethan, you you just spent a whole lot of time talking about this gospel thing. Maybe you're wondering, can we distill it down? I'm glad that you asked. All right, we're going to try something a a little different here today. Uh, I want you to take a look at the screen with me. Maybe you're here and you're looking maybe you're looking to know what is the gospel? How, how does God save? Or maybe you're wondering how can you share this gospel with your friends? With your neighbors? See, here's, here's the gospel. The gospel is that God designed everything good. except for my handwriting. (laughs) God designed everything good. In in fact, what the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 is that he looked out over creation. You remember what he said? It's good, right? It's good. Adam looked at Eve, and he said, it's really good, right? (laughs) But but here's what we know happened. It, It didn't take long, and God's design was marred by sin 
And because of that sin, what happened was brokenness. And what happens in our brokenness, this is now what you and I experience. We experience broken promises. We experience broken relationships. We experience broken hearts. And what happens is in our own strength, we try to fix that brokenness. And what happens when we try to fix that brokenness is it ultimately just leads to more brokenness. And what happens is that as that brokenness, it seeps out into every area of our life. Rather than fixing the problem that we had, we begin to experience, we begin to feel the effects of that brokenness in more and more ways. But the good news is, is that God didn't leave us in the brokenness, did he? God, God didn't leave us so that we would have to stay broken. Instead, what he did was he sent Christ. He sent Christ so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who puts their faith in Christ. And now, instead of trying to fix our own brokenness, if we would repent and believe the gospel, that Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be made right with God, that Jesus lived that perfect life, that you and I couldn't live, that Jesus died in our place on the cross as propitiation for our sins. He took, he satisfied God's wrath. Understand this, that, that the, the wrath that my sin deserves, the wrath that your sin deserves, it has been satisfied by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so sometimes we want to beat ourselves up, don't we? I keep messing up, I, I keep messing up, I, I keep messing up. The good news is, is that if you trust in Jesus, you don't have to beat yourself up any longer. Jesus was beaten for you. Jesus took the penalty that your sin deserves. And so if we will repent of our sin, if we will turn from our sin, and we will believe the gospel, put our faith and our hope and our trust in the gospel, then what happens is that we are freed to recover and pursue God's design. And so now, instead of your family life being marred by brokenness, your family life is marked by the gospel. Now, instead of your life being all about trying to make everything good and make everything right, now your life is about Jesus who has done that. Remember the way J.R. Tolkien talks about it? He, he said that in Jesus Christ, all of the sad stories would come untrue. That, that, that in Jesus Christ, that he is undoing all of this brokenness and he is freeing us to recover and pursue God's good design for our life. Just the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be made right with the Father. And here's what, I, here's what I know, is that in a room like this, there are certainly people who have yet to believe the gospel. Maybe even this morning, you've been fighting against it, or maybe this morning, you've come to realize that you need to stop fighting, you need to stop trying to earn, you need to stop trying to make it all happen in your own power and in your own strength, and instead, you need to give it all to Jesus Christ. You need to trust in 
Christ. If that's you, man, I'm so glad that you have come here today. If that is you, we want to invite you to believe the gospel, to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you still got some questions. Or maybe you say, Ethan, I'm ready to do it right now. Well, as we sing, we're going to do it a little different than maybe what you're used to. As we sing, uh, our pastors and some of our staff are going to be right down front. And as we sing, they would love to talk with you. They'd love to pray with you. Maybe it's stepping out. Maybe it's setting up a time to talk a little more. I mean, they would love to talk with you, to pray with you, to celebrate what the Lord is doing in your life. Maybe you'd say, Ethan, you know what? I, I believe the gospel. I've trusted in Christ. I know that I'm saved. But Ethan, I, I'm feeling a whole lot more brokenness right now than I'm used to. Ethan, I, I've done some things so that I live here, but, but my sin, I can feel my brokenness right now. I just need someone to pray with me. I need someone to encourage me. I need someone to remind the God. If that's you, man, they would love to talk to you. They would love to pray with you about not losing your focus on Jesus, not dividing your heart, but instead knowing that gospel math that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so here in just a minute, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. Uh, our pastors, our staff will be down front. We would love to talk with you and pray with you and encourage you as the Lord works in your heart. Uh, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you for how good and how right and how just you are. Father, thank you that you are the justifier of sinners like me. Father, thank you that, that you have redeemed us as a gift. Father, that, that it's not, it's not that that I need to be better. It's not that I need to try to make up for the ways that I've sinned against you, but Father Jesus, you have given Jesus in my place, in our place. So that we don't take your wrath because Jesus has satisfied your wrath. And because Jesus has satisfied your wrath for my sin, for our sin, we can experience forgiveness and we can experience life as it was meant to be lived. That because Jesus has died in my place, because Jesus has died in our place, because Jesus has risen again in our place, conquering sin and conquering death, we're now free to recover and pursue your design for us. Father, I, I pray for, for those who, who are in this room today, those who, who have yet to trust in Christ, those, those who have yet to believe. Father, I pray that today would be the day. Lord, I pray they wouldn't walk out of this room without knowing that they know that they know. Father, I pray that they, they wouldn't walk out of this room with questions about eternity, but they would walk out of this room knowing that because of Jesus, their eternity has been settled. So, Father, we pray that you would work in this room. We pray that you would work in this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder.